The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley as we begin a Friday. Gary. What in the world is going on? I don't know. I may have to bite my tongue a little bit on the show today because I bit my tongue yesterday. Well, why would you want to do it again? <laughs> I mean, I was eating a piece of food. That's, that's the wrong time to do it. Oh, man. I chomped down on that, on my tongue, and it's when I woke up. Well, at, when I went to sleep, I was like, I hope I can go into work because it hurt when I talked. And now I, this is the first time, really, I've. You know, this is the longest I've talked right now in, mm-hmm. in this voice, and, it, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, when, even when I woke up, I went, oh, no. Oh, no. It's like, man. And no yeah. bleeding or anything. I just somehow hit it really hard. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, and I realized how strong our mouths are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean for talking. I mean for chewing. But you know what? <laughs> Interesting point. I was watching, I don't know, everybody has a Shark Week. HGTV now has Shark Week. I, I don't know why they all do it, but it seems like they all have a Shark Week. The National Geographic was, you know, they on their streaming channel, they just basically run everything from their Shark Week. Live, It's they call it live streaming. It's just a loop of Shark Week episodes, <laughs> right? Yeah. So... It's let's measure the bite of a shark. And they have a guy down there, and he's got this huge bar, and he's got tiger sharks. Now, these are 9, 11, 13 feet mm-hmm. sharks. Uh, in this episode, it's tiger sharks. They had already tested hammerheads. I don't know if they ever did great whites. It's got a tiger shark. And the tiger shark bites down. It's a a pretty big tiger shark. And they get the reading on it. And it's like, I don't know, 700 pounds of pressure, whatever. And then the voiceover guy, that's like being crushed by a vending machine. I thought, vending machine? (laughs) What? What, Could you not come up with, I don't know, how about a 700-pound weight? 
700 pounds. I think we all get how much 700 pounds is. Vending machine is the example they came yeah, up with. Yeah, but the vending machine doesn't have teeth. It also doesn't have anything in it. So <laughs> <laughs> these dogs, us. Yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, it's, it, I, I was thinking about this and the biting pressure, you know, and then they mm-hmm. were talking about, well, it's not just the size of the animal. It's the shape of their mouth. And I said, no kidding, Sherlock. <laughs> what, you, what, what am I supposed to be? And and can we stop the, the screaming and also the, the old ESPN type approach on these shark episodes? I see him. He's coming up. You see him. I see him. And they're all screaming. It's like Steve. And then at the, yeah. Stephen, Stephen A. Yeah, Stephen Smith A. Smith, and they're all just, you know. <laughs> no, the hammerhead's definitely more dangerous. <laughs> no, it's a great white. It, what are you, a moron? That's a tiger shark. He's actually part tiger. Uh, no, that's, dude, that's not, that's not how it works. And, and, Let's it, talk about the privilege of the white shark. And and then they were, you know, then at the end, it's like, you know, they go to a commercial break, and it's like, and the score is the tiger shark has a bigger. And I'm like, I don't, I don't need a score. I don't need the score. It just, it's just annoying. Wow. National Geographic. I mean, they have, they, arguably, they hire the best photographers in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Over the decades, we've just been, we just marvel at their work. And then it comes down to, I see it. I see it. No, I believe the tiger shark is bigger. It's just, guys, now, do your see, National Geographic thing, me, would you? Let me ask you, ask you this. Is that an American thing? Because really, you can have the same type of dramatic presentation if you're Australian and just saying it in an intense voice and look at that shark. Right. Well, like Steve Irvin. Yeah. Irwin. Uh, when, you know, when yeah. he... If he said anything, I mean, he was, his eyes were wide open. Crocky! Looks like that hamster is a bit grumpy. You know, it didn't matter what the animal was. There were two, uh... That's the only reason I mentioned Australian. I figured he'd do his impersonation. Right! Right! Then I jumped off my bark. There were two chickens that were fighting. What about, I broke it up. What about the spider? Remember, if you ever bitten by a red deck spider... You're going to die. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, it's a Friday. We're here. It is. We're here. Whatever happened, whatever, right. wherever it goes. All right. I've got to, I've got to play this. The we got to start out with this audio. Mm-hmm. All right. And this is Biden. Can you tell us about your Hawaii trip, sir? All right. And this is the ultimate. And oh. we talked about this a long time ago. Yeah. The stubbornness of, of Biden. It doesn't yeah. matter. Whether it's obvious, you need to show some compassion for yeah. a natural disaster. And right. we know what happened on the beach the other day. Anything to say on, on Maui? No comment. No comment. What? And as they noted, then he gave that arrogant smile, that little yeah. grin like, yeah, you're not going to catch and, me. on." And this is just blowing everybody away, the yeah. response he had yesterday here. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Can you tell us how your Hawaii trip, sir? No, not. No. No. I'm, you have opportunity after opportunity to step up to the mic and say, just want to let you know that we are in constant contact with the governor and all the officials there in Hawaii. 
Our, our thoughts and prayers go out to them, and of course, we know that there's a lot to be done. Our thoughts and prayers are with the families he who can't. have lost loved ones. Our thoughts and prayers are with everyone who has suffered a loss in this horrible tragedy, and you can bet that my office will be working until everything is rebuilt and returned to the way it was and proper respect is paid to those who lost their lives. And he, he, all he said, he said, he said, no, I'll be going on Monday. And yeah. that, that, that was, it was amazing. It's almost as if, if he doesn't want to answer something that's obvious that he needs to answer it, and his aides tell him, Mr. President, you have to say something about this. This is an unbelievable natural disaster that happened. This is something that's unprecedented. The whole nation is focused on it. And so they tell him that, and his response is, oh, if everybody wants me to talk about it, then I'm not. Mm-hmm. No, and I'll have that kind of attitude. No. Or, like, what, who, or they've who? told him, don't talk to the media about anything. <laughs> because they're afraid of him talking to the media about anything. And this is why. Well, Hunter, and this. His, his arrogance knows no end. And the fact that you don't naturally have that compassion for the people in Hawaii, that you don't naturally feel loss, yeah, that you naturally aren't grieving, tells me everything I need to know about you as a person. And that's who he is. He doesn't have any compassion. It is, it really is incredible when you, and there's nothing that you can do about it. He's just going to continue. He's just going to continue that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, In a way, it is, in a way, it is shocking that he seems to have no idea. There seems to be no type of self awareness at all that you can't do that. Yeah. It's almost as if. And then every, then all of his aides try to cover, oh, no, he's doing a lot. And then you expect, okay, he's going to come out and correct himself and say, oh, no, I didn't. Here's what I would have said. I didn't hear the question, and I said no comment. Yeah, you know, I, I'm sorry. So there's a term, it, I yeah, thought right. I heard something else. Right. And and that's on me. That Frankly, that is on me. Right. And everybody forgives you. Oh, yep. okay, yeah, yep. you were at the beach. Somebody shouted a question. Yep. Right. You didn't hear it. No right. big deal. Right. And, you, and But it's like. Here he gets a second chance. No. Yeah. Wow. Well, and then the other day, it was day before yesterday, I think, and uh, somebody made the observation about how when he did step up to uh, uh, the podium, and I think he was there, it was it was the day they were uh, uh, marking the one-year anniversary of the We're Never Going to See Low Inflation Again Act. And... <laughs> He never, ever, 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 ever dot com. And so he, he but he steps to the mic and then he says, uh, you know, uh, blah, 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 blah. And, and, I, and I'm talking about, you know, the, the big island, n- not the other one that everybody else is talking about. Something to that effect. He couldn't remember Maui. Wow. Which tells me. You don't take any personal interest in it, which tells me you haven't spent any time at all thinking about it. You're president of the United States. 
And one of your states is suffering its largest natural disaster loss ever. And you can't get it right because you don't care. That's pathetic. Yeah, it's more important that, and and I really think, and you had said this a long, long time ago, it's really just so important for him that if people tell him, even his age, you've got to step up and do this, he just says, no, I'm not going to. I'm just not going to. I don't I don't care what you think. I'm just not going to answer it, no right. matter what. You can't make me answer questions. Right. As if there's some type of competition. That's the strange thing. No, I mean, it is. But that's who he is. His defiance and arrogance is at everything and everyone. Yeah, because it doesn't matter. Because his defiance, I mean, who are you... Who? Who is his defiance targeted here against? Is it the reporters? The right. reporters are asking the question. If they ask a question, damn it, we don't answer any questions from reporters here. I mean, is that what's in his mind? I mean, it, because and I do wonder if it's because for so long now he has been told, don't answer the media's questions. Don't engage. If they shout something at you, no comment. You couldn't keep me from talking about Hawaii if I were president. I would have been there already. I I don't know. Obviously, logistically, things may be, especially, uh, you know, in the Lahaina area, may not be ready for him to visit. So, you know, I'll put that up there. But the fact of the matter is, you certainly wouldn't keep me from talking about it. I would have had a. I probably for a, a number of days, and maybe even still today, would have had a daily briefing on it, so that we could get people caught up, so that we would. Because one of the things that that is going on right now is that people are saying, you know, look, this is not a good. If you had a trip planned, a vacation planned, this is not the time to go. Well, there's two things. First off, it's just a natural instinct if you're an American. I, to care, again, to, to, to you care, should to, naturally right. feel it. There's there's two points here. It's just natural as an American mm-hmm. to have concern and say, "Wow, this is this is really terrible." And number two, your automatic political instinct, right, which should be down the road. You know that it should be way lower than you're just caring as a human being and as an American when a, when Americans are hurting, right? Because that's sort of a natural instinct that we we have. But the other I got to say, it's almost an, it got to be a natural instinct for a politician who's been a politician for over a half century that it's extremely easy to say, you know, to be, to sit there and say, number one, I'm concerned. Number two, we got to get this right politically. Right. Because you can look back and you can say, if you don't get it right on a natural disaster, it can come back and it can haunt you politically and we don't need to do that. Right. And it's like there is just no self awareness of that at all. None. Right. Fascinating, really is just fascinating. Yeah, and and frustrating, um, but not surprising given the fact that we already know who he is. We'll talk about uh, uh, that. You saw the other day where he we were screaming about, he got angry when he was giving the speech about America, and mm-hmm. you know, tell me one thing America hasn't. Aco- 
nobody's criticizing that America hasn't accomplished a lot of things or criticizing you, sir. Right. Because actually you are accomplishing exactly what you wish to accomplish. You're accomplishing that's, what you want to do. That's yeah. the problem. Now, not in everything, thanks to the, to, to the courts, but what you wish to accomplish is things that the majority of Americans are against. That's why you're getting the pushback. Mm-hmm. I love how he framed it that that uh, it's about him, that you know those in opposition to him you know believe that America doesn't accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, when the government gets out of the way, we accomplish a lot. Free market capitalism and the principles of, of which uh, bring everybody to a very good place. It increases buying power of families all across America. Yeah, because America, that covers, that covers a lot. We're not talking about America. We're talking you. Mm-hmm. We're talking when we attack, we, at- we attack your mindset. We attack the yeah. liberal mindset, mm-hmm. liberal ideology, not America. Eight six six ninety red eye This preventative maintenance tip is brought to you by Hotshot Secret, the country's number one fastest-growing oil and additive company. If you've been driving a diesel any length of time, you know diesel fuel quality can be an issue. There are U.S. standards that diesel fuel is supposed to meet, like cetane number, lubricity, a.k.a. wear protection, deposit control. But oftentimes, the fuel at the pump falls short. Let's highlight diesel fuel's cetane number. In most states, the minimum a cetane number can be is 40. Through years of testing, Hotshot Secret has found the average cetane number across the nation is between 42 to 45. And most modern engines are built in tune to operate best with a cetane number closer to 50. This is why a premium additive is needed to keep cetane numbers up, to keep the engine operating at its best while helping with fuel economy and DPF regeneration cycles. Add Hotshot Secret Everyday Diesel Treatment, a 6-in-1 fuel booster at every fill-up to keep cetane numbers in a premium range while also protecting your fuel system. Learn more about the science behind diesel fuel and Hotshot Secret's Everyday Diesel Treatment at HotshotSecret.com. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 truck stop at exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, 
the Super Truck Showroom, stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. Friday Radio, he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Here's uh, what Biden said a couple of days ago. Name me a single objective we've ever set out to accomplish that we've failed on. Name me one in all of our history. Not one. All right. Um, yeah, can we get back to talking about what we were talking about? <laughs> we could spend all day on that. Well, I mean, you know, if we want to get down to it, we can talk about uh, things that the private sector isn't able to accomplish because the government is in the way. Regulations are well, killing well, he, are, are killing right. growth. Right. He's, ta- you know, again, I'm not sure what he's talking about because he's talking about in the history we, um, yeah. Um, yeah. America. I get and it. That is such a broad question mm-hmm. because if he's he's responding to the fact that if people don't like him and criticize him, they're criticizing America. Mm-hmm. That they have no belief in America if they criticize him. That's why he's getting angry because mm-hmm. of the criticism he is getting. Mm-hmm. So he's setting up, you know, setting a, a very, very broad, setting up a very, very broad table that if you disagree with him or you say he's not uh, performing. But the fact is that we said in many areas he is performing and he is doing what he wants. He is accomplishing his goals, which is why America is upset. Well, and, you know, there's more criticism on the whole thing about um the fact that we won't be able to accomplish things that they say we're going to be able to accomplish with wind, solar, and EVs. I mean, we could get into that all day long, and if that's what he's getting angry about, sorry, dude, the math just doesn't work in your favor. The Bonus Show. And he is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Uh, <laughs> well, it got a little hot yesterday. It got warm, and, and Friday is going to be, could this be the highest we've seen so far? Uh, they were calling for 110. This but, year? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, where on Weather Channel, where I live, for like 20 minutes, got up to 111. Yeah, and but I think the 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 actual high was 108, I believe. Yeah, for Thursday, but uh, but for Friday, Friday's they're calling, be calling for um, 
Yeah, still calling for 110 in my neighborhood. All right. I was up in the attic again yesterday. Yeah. How'd that work out? Did you get everything? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I cleared it yesterday, but I'm just, uh, uh, I you know, when you got a condensation line, you can clear part of it. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened because I did it about a month and a half, or I did it about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I just used the, the normal, uh, you know, I, I would, you know, put a little bit of bleach in it, let that go down for uh, an hour or so. You know, and and then I would put. Uh, I think that's all I had to do. I, no, one time I put bleach in. The next time I put the the uh, the white vinegar with uh, warm water mm-hmm. down, and both cleared it. But one returned after two weeks. Same thing happened again. It got blocked in two weeks and three weeks. So I was like, okay, I'm not clearing the entire thing. Mm-hmm. So I've got the wet dry vac pulling from the outside outlet, mm-hmm. and then. To, uh, this uh, this morning when I wake up before it gets too hot, I'm going to go back up. It's working fine, but I'm going to uh, reverse the wet vac from uh, to the blowing mm-hmm. uh, a part of it, and then go up go up to the attic and blow that down through. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably do it for a couple of days just to make sure I clear. It. But everything's working fine. But I just don't you know you don't know how clear it is. Yeah. So. But uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's uh, that's all fun. One hundred and ten. I, yeah, anything above one hundred and five, I start to go. Come on, guys. <laughs> we we this, can, let's cool it down for a minute. This reminds me of two thousand when I moved here. Yeah. Because we didn't get a rain, we didn't get rain for a significant period. Of, we didn't get rain for such a long time that I remember by the time we got to September. They were said. They were saying, you know, they were the media, whoever the experts are, that we may not get you know the lakes back to normal for another ten years. Mm-hmm. By February, there was flooding because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's Texas mm-hmm. drought, monsoons. Mm-hmm. That's what you get. But we haven't. I haven't had rain except for a few drops in over a month now. Yeah, we haven't had anything measurable. Yeah, so it's it's uh, well been well over a month and so and for the next two weeks it's still over 100 every day yep so um but it reminds me i could i remember when i first moved here because it's just like i couldn't believe wow there's just it's just boiling every day and that was the year that around right around labor day because i remember i golfed when it got to 112 in in 2000 and we golfed and it was not a pleasant experience and I was young enough at that point where, you know, it's like I took the pull cart. You know, you walked it. Mm-hmm. We made it to hole 15 and then had to walk in through the woods where it was shaded. Yeah. And it was horrible. I mean, I I was, we were really dragging. I will, I mean, it's, I won't play. I, I, I don't even want to hit golf balls right now because you get out in an hour in that sun. Whoa. Yeah. And yeah. for me, I got, you know, some little bit of lawn work tomorrow, but I get it done early. But you wear the hat, and you only stay out for 15, 20 minutes, and you come in and you cool down again. Well, and I have my clock on, you know, on lawn work 7 to 10. And oh, okay. So right now, you know, the sun's coming up a little bit later. So 7 o'clock, it's still fairly early. That's sunrise is just before 7 right now. So, so I start with the lighter stuff, the 
weed eater or whatever. And then with, by 730, I'm, I'm cranking it out. Because if you don't get it done, it just becomes, after 10 a.m., becomes dangerous. I don't know how these lawn crews do it. And they do it all the time. I know. The construction. And they're wearing the, you know, it's it's the light clothing, but they're wearing the long sleeve and, and the hats and everything. You have to. I mean, I'm pretty convinced at 110, you might burst into flames. <laughs> so you've got to, man, you got to stay covered. <laughs> yeah. Well, interesting day uh, yesterday. Uh, Trump seeking an April 2026 trial date. Oh, all right. So he wants a speedy trial. <laughs> okay. But the reasoning, you see the reasoning, and it makes it actually makes sense. Because initially you'd sit there and you would say, oh, come on, he's just trying to stall, and therefore he can be president. If he's president, then he can't, you know, they, they won't do the trial at that point. Mm-hmm. But actually the motion talks about that uh, – the the government turned over a massive 8.5 terabyte initial production, totaling over 11.5 million pages. This is exactly what I was talking about yesterday. Yeah. There's and, no way it, discovery won't take that long. And and that was that was their point. If we read 200 pages a day, yeah. <laughs> Just reading the pages, right? And, and I'm and I'm like, how do you argue as a judge? Well, well, this any, is what any other any other way when you're talking about you have to go through that amount. Yeah. Well, this is the thing with overcharging. When you overcharge, of course, you're throwing not just the book; you're throwing every book at them. And when you do this, and I brought this up yesterday. How can you not expect a motion for discovery and it it be a motion that's, listen, in fact, we want an indefinite delay and we'll prove to you that we're working through this whole, whole, you know, judge wants to this whole thing. But we have to be given time with so many items thrown. We deserve the right to go through each and every item on discovery. And uh, as they uh, they uh, the wrote the uh, Trump's attorneys here it is in a motion Thursday Trump attorneys proposed the April twenty six uh, uh, start date that's April of twenty twenty six Trump's attorney revealed that the government turned over a massive eight point five terabyte initial production initial totaling more than eleven point five million pages together with native files recordings and other electronic data. Uh, Trump attorneys recognize the unprecedented nature of the case where the incumbent administration has targeted its primary political opponent and leading candidate in the upcoming presidential election with criminal prosecution. The motion stated in this district ordinary, uh, uh, ordinary order when faced with such overwhelming discovery is to set a reasonable trial schedule commensurate with the size and scope of discovery and the complexity of the legal issues. The government rejects this sensible approach. Instead, it seeks a trial calendar more rapid than most no-document misdemeanors requesting just four months from the beginning of discovery to jury selection. The government's objective is clear to deny President Trump and his counsel a fair ability 
to prepare for trial, the uh, the court should uh, deny the government's request. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this the incredible thing is I, I've got to find where I, this wasn't the article. I got to find where they actually broke it down. Eleven point yeah. five million pages. Right. That if you you know go through two hundred or five hundred a day, mm-hmm. how long it will take. And then if you set it for four months, they can't even go through the case that the prosecution has set for them. It's not reasonable with that number of pages. Right. Well, this is the problem that they, they have in, with overcharging. If you're going to bring a monster of a case, then expect a monster, you know, in terms of waiting time uh, period for discovery. How could you not? Because, the you know, I've seen and it didn't come from. Uh, Willis's office, but I've seen the you know the question floating around, and analysts saying, "Well, it took her this long to bring these charges because so much happened." You know, I mean, look at all the, oh my gosh, it's so big. It, and then uh, the one comment, "Oh no, this is much worse than." And they always do this. This is much worse than Watergate. Like, all right, let's get into the real charges here. But when you if you're going to make that defense, well, it took so long to bring these charges because it's so many items, then it should take as long for discovery. And that gets you to, I don't know, about two and a half years or more, right? Mm-hmm. So here we are. There's no way it doesn't if you have that many items. Unless they're going to drop some of the charges. I don't see that happening. And if the judge doesn't let you do it, you can claim you were not given a fair trial. Absolutely. Because you absolutely you were not able to go through yep. all of uh, of, of uh, discovery. Yep. Uh, here it is. If we were to print and stack, this this is the point I found here. Mm. If this is the Trump's lawyers, if we were to print and stack 11.5 million pages of documents with no gap between the pages at 200 pages per inch, the result would be a tower of paper stretching nearly 5,000 feet into the air. This is taller than the Washington Monument, stacked on top of itself eight times with nearly a million pages to spare, the defense lawyers wrote. The question when the trial will begin is ultimately up to U.S. District, uh, uh, the U.S. District Judge, who's expected to set at least a tentative trial date during an August 28th court hearing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can't, if you deny proper time for discovery. Because otherwise, what you're saying is, well, sorry, you're going to have to hire, I don't know, a hundred more lawyers. Because they're asking almost for, for three years. Yeah, yeah. And so you're, you're talking... If Trump won the election next year, he would be a year and a half. Yep, it's two years and eight months. Yeah, he'd be a year and a half into it. Yep. And so you look at it and you say, look at this. We have to go through every, they've given us 11, and she knows whether it's true or not. Yeah. She can find out, is this really true? 11 point, 11.5, I almost said trillion. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I can't get the trial Confused with the national debt or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and and so you when when you look at that you say 
how can she not set a date that is not after the election? Yep. Because he's going to claim, I can't get, I can't get a fair trial. Now, again, does the judge care whether he gets a fair trial? The prosecution doesn't because when you think about it, the prosecution let their, you know, they showed their hand by saying that, you know, four months from now, we need to start this trial. And you've got this type of discovery, which is, you know, you're talking about some of the most complicated when you got 11.5 million just pieces of paper, documents, Mm -hmm. doesn't count recordings and whatever else you have you know, there, and that's what you initially present the defense with. And there was talk about the fact that there was uh, uh, one uh, trial that this, uh, uh, that I think the, the DA is looking at that so far has gone through, it's a, it's a gang-related case, but eight months of just jury selection alone. Yeah, I mean, trials take something of this size is bound to take a long time. There's no way that it won't. And if the judge just wants to hand them an automatic when it comes to appeal, you can say, sorry, we're not giving you that kind of time. But how do they, okay, let's say, again, they don't go April 2026. April April 2025. How do you how do you start this before the election? election. How do you yeah. give them enough time for discovery and a proper defense and start this before because March 4th is a joke. And and so you you think about you think about that but even if the judge decided to do it earlier. Mm-hmm. Because the one thing that they want, they want a they want a felony conviction on something. That's what they want. Yeah, that's the ultimate right. would be a felony conviction beforehand, right? Because then they could say the Republican candidate is a uh, convicted felon, mm-hmm. is a convicted felon. And I can see the ads mm-hmm. all over: convicted felon, convicted felon, convicted felon, convicted. And more articles out there yesterday that if that label is attached to it, there's no way he's going to win independence. Mm-hmm. We had talked about that yesterday. That Republicans, mm-hmm. a growing number of Republicans now saying if the if they get what they want, which is why you've had the call. It's not a huge calling at this point that, hey, maybe he shouldn't run. Mm -hmm. Because if you put the Democrats in power in the executive branch for another four years, that can't be permissible. But if the opposite happens and, you know, uh, and, and Trump wins and, you know, he has not yet been convicted of anything, well, then it delays for another four years. Yeah. Well, and and here's my question. In the presentation to the court, how does the court have enough time to go through all this? 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. 
Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. America starts the day with America in the morning. Pending home sales numbers, they tanked in April, but there are. Hi, I'm John Trout, your host for the latest news, politics, entertainment, business, and weather. Octane action in the dust, a new film puts. Our staff of correspondents provide a fast paced look at the world with specialized reports from where news happens. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Amazon. Concise, accurate, and fresh each day. America in the morning, the podcast, available wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. We is over there, Eric Harley, right here, Gary McNamara. Good morning. Welcome to a Friday. It's Eric Carley, Gary McNamara, and Robert L. Peters. Yeah. (laughs) According to the House Oversight Committee, Joe Biden used a fake name, Robert L. Peters, to receive a document containing information about a call he had with then the president of Ukraine. CC'd on the email was Hunter Biden and only Hunter Biden and Robert L. Peters. Peters. The House Oversight Committee has sent a letter to the National Archives that states that it is looking for correspondence with the name Robert L. Peters. Uh huh. That the committee has identified as then Vice President Biden. The suggestion is that Biden used various false names in discussions that he had. Mm-hmm. Now, I found this interesting. Charles Cook, if James Comer is correct, what could Joe Biden's defense possibly be? Said uh, for per representative James Comer, Vice President Joe Biden corresponded corresponded with Burisma and his son. Uh, while using the name Robert L. Peters that allowed him to evade freedom of information uh, uh, requests. Among the documents of interest is a file entitled Email Messages to and from Vice President Biden and Hunter Biden relating to Burisma and Ukraine. The file exists on the National Archives website, In a heavily redacted state, the committee is seeking more information about an email with the subject Friday schedule card. A document that is attached to the email indicates then Vice President Biden had a call with then the Ukrainian Ukrainian President Poroshenko. 
Comer writes that the committee is concerned because the document was sent to Robert L. Peters, who they believe is Vice President Joe Biden. Joe uh, Hunter Biden was the only person copied on the email to the then Vice President. Comer specifically requests all unredacted docu- documents and communications in which then Vice President Joe Biden... Uh, <laughs> Mr. Peters, Hunter Biden, Eric Schwerin, or Devin Archer is copied in all drafts of the then Vice President Biden's speech delivered to uh, Ukraine in December of 2015. And then he writes here, perhaps Comer's claim is factually incorrect, but assuming it's not, the obvious next inquiry is why? Why did Joe Biden do this? What could be the innocent explanation be? Why did he deny having anything to do with his son's business if he knew he had actually sent emails using a fake name? If this allegation is proven to be accurate, what could the defense possibly be? As with his claims that... Biden created a network of more than 20 shell companies that uh, that Vice President Biden joined phone calls with Hunter and his foreign business partners upwards of 20 times, and that Joe flew Hunter to China on Air Force Two to meet with one of Hunter's China-connected business partners. I honestly can't think of one. This is Charles Cook. Increasingly, I am of the view that the only important question here is whether Comer's factual claims can be substantiated. That's been our question all along. If they can, there'll be nowhere for Joe Biden to hide. We've gone quite quickly from there was no connections whatsoever between Joe Biden and his son's business to, okay, there was a connection between Joe Biden and his son's business, but it was innocent. Uh To there's no direct proof that Biden was paid off. What's next exactly is what he writes. Well, the walls have been closing in. I mean, you know, the the next logical step in there is, which happened, is a special prosecutor is assigned. But in terms of Comer's investigation, it doesn't stop what's going on there. If Comer's allegations can be proven, there is nowhere to go. Well, again, where we are is, you know, can and you notice it dropped quickly. You didn't hear much of it this week. I think one representative was out there saying there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that Joe Biden took anything. Well, there is his son saying he did. Yep. And not only took it once, but for 11 years. Right. On, on one right. and then 30 years in the other correspondence that mm-hmm. he had. Mm-hmm. And so, so now it's not coming from Republicans saying he got paid. It's coming from Hunter Biden well, saying he got paid. And and when Comer's out there stating it, does anybody representing Hunter Biden say that that isn't true? I haven't seen anyone. No. Well, and, and here's a question, too. Robert L. Peters. So you're so he's on the call or a number of calls as Robert L. Peters. 
Well, at some point, the people on the other end want to know. Well, okay, using the name Robert L. Peters and communications in any way. You want to know that that's actually the vice president because you want to get what you're paying for, right? Mm-hmm. You want the quid pro quo. You want the follow through on the other end. It's it's the whole point. Which means that at some point, someone had to say, well, but Robert L. Peters is the vice president. That is the vice president. Somebody had to assure the people they were communicating with that that's actually the vice president, then vice president. Well, and unless, because this is just between the president and Hunter. Mm-hmm. So is that what they used that, you know, obviously he was the vice president when talking to them, but in communications with Hunter and maybe Hunter's business partners is where he used the Robert L. Peters. Right. Because then at that point, freedom of information doesn't pick that up in story. Yeah. I guess my point is, is that at some point, well, if if to be proven true, then you've got to have someone saying, well, yeah, that's the big guy. That's well, is there a Robert L. Peters? Right. Either there's a Robert L. Peters or there's not a Robert L. Peters. Was there one with the company? Was there one right. working on behalf of the company? Was there one working in any way as a, um, I don't know, a mid- midpoint contact in any of the equation? Because it likely came up in, in conversation somewhere and you need to assure somebody or a group of people well no that's the name well let's ask that here's the next thing does comer already know that it's him because you've had uh schwerin you've Mm -hmm. had uh oh who's the other guy that just testified here in the last month they did the deposition uh, do they know, does Bob, does Bobby Linsky know mm-hmm. who Robert L. Peters is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have they, did they find the Robert L. Peters name and were they sent to the direction because Hunter's Biden business partners told him? Right. Well, it's yeah. At some point you're having to communicate this is the name being given to Joe Biden. Devin Archer. Devin Archer. Yeah. Yeah. Did Devin Archer tell them that already? Did Schwerin, because remember, Schwerin's cooperating also. Is there, is did there. They, did they tell them, yeah, that's that's Joe. Yeah. Is there any evidence of that other than what they told them? And, and other, or could the, it, it have been told in a deposition or testimony, well, behind closed doors, deposition or questioning? And then found, you found the backup, basically the proof of that, where they're saying, okay, this is who that is. Because the conversations also would be shaped around it, right? Mm -hmm. Robert L. Peters isn't going to be able, he doesn't have any power. There was no Robert L. Peters that worked in the government in the vice president's office that I know of that would have the power to deliver anything that would be of any significance or interest. Right, but, I, but I'm but i under, I, I guess, 
I would be under the impression they never sold Robert L. Peters mm-hmm. to any of the four. That was the communication between Hunter and his father. Right. That that would be that that's where it was because that would avoid freedom of information. But at, even at in that, that point. yeah, but even at that level of communication, any communication between those two. What is the nature of those communications? Because at some point there has to be some kind of ask that is a big, uh, a big ask that only can be delivered with somebody in power. Well, that could be done like Pauly. That could be <laughs> to go to Goodfellas. That could yeah. be, you know, you just, you whisper it into his ears. Mm-hmm. But when you want to have other communication between it, that you don't get specific on it. Right. Because the one thing you don't want to do is have well, an, which you have wouldn't an, have to do. You don't want you don't want the actual yeah. bribe on the paper, even though well, no, Hunter no, no. gets you close no, no. to no, it. No. Hunter gets you close to it with you know with with uh, the uh, the WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. I mean that gets you yeah. as close as you possibly can get. Yeah. without without We've delivered. Saying, you got to pay right, us, right? So, but but that's and that's my whole point. The nature of the conversations could be shaped. It wouldn't be a proof, but it could back up. Any claim being made by any of them, any any witness testimonies or depositions or, or interviews. I think it was Representative Connolly, was it, who came out there? Oh, there's no evidence, no direct, nothing, nothing. There's mm-hmm. nothing here. Well, everybody knows that's a load of horse manure. Every single Democrat listening right now, you could be the biggest Joe Biden supporter. You know this really stinks. Well, this is, you, you know, the, the last paragraph by Charles Cook. You know, I mean, look at the evolution of the answers here. Just recently, the recent evolution is is dramatic, which is why they were getting too close to the fire. That's why the DOJ had to act with a special prosecutor. There's no doubt in my mind on that. And then I saw that, by the way, that day when it was announced, all the liberal media, oh, could this, oh, wait a minute, could this actually shield them from the GOP. Well, it would, it will definitely shield them uh, on the, in the legal sense, you know, uh, beyond the, uh, beyond November of uh, 24 election day. Well, not necessarily. Because if, uh, again, if you get to an impeachment inquiry, uh, the judge is probably going to side with the Republicans. They'll be able to, because that'll go all the way up to the Supreme Court. We want this person to testify. And again, the the special counsel is only looking at Hunter Biden. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden's a totally different ballgame. They're two separate people. Doesn't matter. Yeah, that I'm not talking family. about the political part. The the legal part for for the Hunter case is being put off until after the election right. through the special prosecutor. That's my point. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That Hunter isn't important. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's you know what Yeah, what, you're kicking you're kicking that that you're kicking you know, to the curb until right. probably long after the election. Probably till after April of twenty six. <laughs> yeah. They asked for a asked for a court date of April of thirty thirty six. That they'll drive to in only their electric vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> We can't beam on that day. Everybody knows. Too many sunspots. Uh, so, and and uh, that's always been the problem for Biden here, and it's the problem for the Democrats, and they know it. This is not like.
people try to make the analogy, well, this is, you know, like Russia collusion. No, mm-hmm. it's not. Russia no. collusion was allegations no. with no evidence to back it up. Right, right. The allegations is what started it. Yeah. There was no evidence. In fact, the only evidence you had was the the intelligence agencies telling the FBI, hey, Hillary's going to try to set up Trump. Mm-hmm. That's, the only, that's the evidence that you actually had. Right. That's evidence that they had because the intelligence agencies, and that was correct. We now know that was all correct. And though that came from the intelligence agencies, but here... Everything here, none of it is allegations and looking for the evidence to to cherry pick the evidence to do it. All of it is Hunter Biden himself from his laptop, Mm -hmm. emails from his business partners, testimony from his business partners, whistleblowers from the from law enforcement, and then the electronic transfers of money and the 20 LLCs, fake corporations, to transfer all of that money. And so, we, as we said at the point, we, uh, and that was even before what happened you know, yesterday, uh, at the minimum, if you're saying the only person who's corrupt is Hunter Biden because he's the one that dealt with the money, and if there's no money trail directly to Joe Biden, then he isn't corrupt, then you have everyone in the Biden family that's corrupt except for Joe because they all got money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you they can't all, say, and, well, well, yeah, but uh, Hunter was doing something wrong. Then the other family members were doing something wrong. Way right. to throw them under the bus. Right. Because those 20 LLCs that were set up, boom, went to nine uh, Biden family members. So the entire Biden family is corrupt and just using Joe because he's clueless. Including would, their would cousin. The, right. Including their cousin, Robert L. Peters. <laughs> Eight six six ninety red eye Managing time is key. Successful owner-operators know that simply running hard is not enough. If it were that easy, anyone could do the job and expect the profits to roll in. It generally pays to slow down. There is a trade-off in higher costs, not to mention the increased risk for driving fast. If driving slower takes time away from you, you could find some of the ways to get it back. Never take time off during the last two weeks of the quarter or the last week of the month when freight typically is abundant. Sometimes it works to your advantage to look for loads that take you through home rather than to home. The latter can interrupt your revenue stream and require additional time to get back up to full speed again. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella with advanced synthetic technology. For more information, go to OverdriveOnline.com to the Overdrive's Partners in Business section of the website. For more detail on Business 101 and many other topics, get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up, we mentioned it yesterday that um, you had uh, economists now concerned that uh, mortgage rates would go up to 8%. Mm. Uh, the 30-year mortgage reached a new, well, 21-year high yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's not good. Well, and, uh, you know, we talked about this yesterday, too, about the uh, – we brought it up yesterday in the show about where the 
uh, actual contracted mortgage rates uh, ended up, and they're even higher. Uh, they're at uh, 7.16, uh, up from 7.09, and that matches a 22-year high. So th- it's all by design, by the way, to basically slow down the market. But what you're seeing is um, you get people who, uh, if you're in a, a mortgage, uh, you got a mortgage of, you know, where it was at 3%, and you're needing or wanting to move, well, unless you've got the cash to pay for that new place, then good luck, because it's going to cost you a lot more to finance. America Studios. And he is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Welcome and good morning. Download our app today, our Red Eye Radio app, and listen when and where you want. I was just reading National Review, Noah Rothman. The Hunter Biden scandal is breaking through. And it actually has been for a while, and they just they talk about another poll that's out there, the uh, uh, ABC uh, poll that they uh, they commissioned. Uh, showing a plurality of Americans, 48% are not confident that the U.S. Justice Department is handling its investigation of Hunter Biden in a fair and nonpartisan manner. Only 32% express confidence. And he makes a great point. Less than a third of Americans are saying that less than a third of Americans believe or express confidence in the Department of Justice Hmm. and what's going on, which means they understand what's going on. Yeah. The public and we have talked about other polls that have more specifically talked about, you know, whether the president's corrupt or not. And it's wide majorities that have that belief that they are and that the majority of Americans in a pretty I think it was 17, 18 points uh, difference, uh, believe that uh, uh, Biden broke the law in covering up the scandal. They didn't get into the specifics of, you know, the actual did he take a bribe or not? But is he trying to cover up what's going on, illegally cover up? And the majority of Americans say yes. And I think 38% of Democrats said yes. That's a huge problem. And it, because there's a difference. There's a, there's, a, And we keep emphasizing it because it's important to understand. And, and if you have an investigative mind and you throw your partisanship out of it and just say, okay, let's look here and let's look at what's going on. And everybody can do that. We do it every day. We do it all the time whenever we watch a uh, murder mystery or one of those crime mysteries, right, on Dateline. Mm-hmm. And we sit there. And so we know how to look for the facts. And when you look back, for example, at Russia collusion, if you're an investigator and not a partisan and you look at the evidence, you know that Hillary Clinton set up the Trump campaign. Trump did not collude with the Russians. The only people that colluded with the Russians was the Hillary Clinton campaign with Iggy Danchenko. Nobody is debating that that story. You've never had one Democrat come out and say, that's not true. Not one. Because they know that it is. But that investigation was based on allegations from Democrats that they could never prove. And as we just stated again in the last hour, 
this is different because this isn't Republicans throwing out allegations and cherry-picking evidence to prove it. Everything comes from sources outside of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. In fact, everything comes from either Hunter Biden's laptop, Hunter Biden's own words, Hunter Biden's own texts, Hunter Biden's own uh, 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 emails, Hunter Biden's own WhatsApp account. Mm-hmm. All of the allegations, the serious allegations against his father, against Joe Biden, comes from his son. And so, really, the last the last thing we've had on that was last week after you had a ton of Democrats jump up. And again, the narrative has, the goalposts have moved drastically from the fact that uh, Biden didn't, uh, you know, there, there is no evidence that Biden had an account where he got direct money. That was basically the last defense you heard from Democrats last week. Yeah. You right. can't, and it was like, well, yeah, you're not going to find that, though, in all likelihood. In fact, Hunter Biden talks about the fact that we can't do that. Mm-hmm. So that's covered. But when it comes to did he was he financially rewarded in any way, Hunter Biden is clear in his own words that his father was. And talked about that for the last 11 years in 2018, he's been taking care of him. Then to his daughter, it was like, oh, the last, hopefully you won't have to <laughs> give dad half. You know, give him half or you won't, you won't, you won't have to give me half like I had to give my father half. Right. And so you have that and then everything else, everything else comes from Hunter's business partners comes from the uh, IRS and FBI whistleblowers and comes from the U.S. Treasury Department in the suspicious activity reports of money transfers through 20 fake corporations that went to nine Biden family members. So you can sit there and say, okay, they've only connected 95% of the dots, and the next 5% uh, could be very problematic, mm. that you could say. But you can't say, as the Democrats were saying last week, there's absolutely nothing here. And every Democrat listening right now knows that. You know that. And that's the problem. That's the problem that they have. So well, Noah Rothman writes that the Hunter Biden scandal is breaking through. It has been breaking through for the last couple of months and even more specific questions than was asked by ABC News. So Washington Post, the article came up and it's one of the editor's picks, by the way. Hunter Biden stays close to father at White House amid criminal probe. You know, this is kind of the breaking of the ice <laughs> uh, for Washington Post, right? They go through and they talk about it, you know, and the, and, and the political ramifications here. Hunter's extended stay at the White House this summer, which has not previously been reported. <laughs> you mean by you guys? <laughs> it's no, been reported. No, that's, a, that's a great point. It has been reported. Was a fresh reminder of the president's continued closeness 
with his 53-year-old son, despite his legal troubles and the intensifying political scrutiny Hunter's receiving from Republicans. <laughs> there is no political scrutiny of Hunter Biden. Hunter isn't in office. Right. Wow. White House aides, and this again, the Washington Post, White House aides said that throughout Biden's presidency, different family members have stayed at the White House for varying lengths of time. Yeah, but not like this. They didn't drive a U. They didn't drive a U-Haul to the White House like Hunter did, apparently. Ian Sams, a White House spokesman, said in a statement, the president and first lady love their son, support him, and are proud of him overcoming addiction and continue continuing to rebuild his life. Okay. All right. For Biden's aides and advisors, the president's fatherly attachment has been both understandable and complicating to the campaign, particularly his reticence to strategize or even discuss his son as the political issue has uh, issue he has become inside the White House. Most <laughs> most aides strenuously avoid discussing Hunter's troubles with the president. You don't say. Believing that their contributions and ideas would not be welcome. <laughs> Even as they worry about the personal toll it is taking on the elder Biden uh, you mean Robert L. Peters? According to a half dozen current and former administration officials who, like other people interviewed for this article, spoke on the condition of anonymity. <laughs> we'll just call them Robert L. Peters. To candidly discuss Biden family dynamics. On the day, on, on July 26th, the day Hunter was set to plead. Enter the plea deal in a Delaware courtroom. Again, this is the Washington Post. White House aides intentionally left space in the president's schedule. (laughs) (laughs) So he could monitor the case. And some worried about exposing him to the press. Yeah, we already knew that. While the hearing unfolded, according to two people familiar with internal deliberations. (laughs) Yes, because he is very available to the press at other times. That's right. <laughs> yeah, well, today we'll keep him away from But just for today. The president <laughs> made no public appearances that day, and aides privately expressed relief that Biden's schedule was kept open because the plea deal collapsed, prolonging Hunter's legal issues. There was particular concern in the West Wing that day, because First Lady Jill Biden was traveling out of the country, leaving the president without his primary source of support, a White House aide who spoke on the condition of complete anonymity (laughs) to discuss the the president's private schedule, said Biden held internal meetings that day including with economic and national security aides, and also sat for an unrelated interview 
with podcaster Jay Shetty about mental health generally. Was yeah. that was that written yesterday? Uh, this did, yeah, it came across yesterday. Yeah. So they're still trying to set up this wall completely that it's all about Hunter Biden. Yeah. And there is no worry in the White House about Joe Biden. It's all about Hunter. They're, wow, that's amazing that they're still sticking to this wall thing that Republicans are trying to drag the president in this, you know, somehow unfairly because this is all about Hunter Biden. And yeah. Right. None of it's about Hunter Biden. No. Really, none of it's about Hunter Biden to the Republicans. No. They don't, nobody, nobody cares about Hunter Biden. It's what is this president currently compromised because he has been compromised for the last 15 years. Yeah, right. I mean, this is the problem. And, and, and in, in this case, you have to ignore you have to ignore the because and you you were the one that said it last week. And, and there's or maybe it was earlier this week when 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 you said they're still trying to separate and saying, well, Joe didn't take any money. Joe, did, it's simply Hunter. Hunter's the only one that's corrupt. And you made the great point. No, the nine family members are also corrupt because they all received money through the fake companies, the LLCs that were set up to transfer money. So the entire Biden family is corrupt, except stupid Joe, who everybody is manipulating. That's the story you're supposed to buy. Exactly. And because the only defense otherwise would be, well, no, Hunter falsely set up those accounts in their names and they didn't know about it. Well, now you're throwing Hunter under a massive legal bus and and accusing him in your defense. You're accusing him of committing even more crimes that he has yet to be charged with. Right, because what he set up accounts under false names. Yeah, that that would be bank these, fraud. All, all these family You're members. Accused, you so in defending him, what, <laughs> in defending the other family members, right. what you're doing is accusing Hunter Biden of bank fraud. So there's no, there is nowhere to go on that. There is no. If you're saying, well, no, it, it shows his wrongdoing. No, it shows the rest of the family. Although all of the family members that received money. So the entire family's corrupt and is are simply manipulating and using Joe because yeah. they believe he's a complete idiot who has no idea what's going on. Exactly. So the entire family in this close family where everybody love, love, love mm-hmm. is malip- manipulating the idiot father and grandfather. Right. And brother. Yeah. So is that what's happening? His Democrats? entire family is corrupt, but not him. And they're all using him right. in this family that loves. Yeah, it's only about love. Eight love six, is love. Love is love. <laughs> 866-90-RED-EYE. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. Red Eye Radio, he is Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Welcome. Thank you for uh, being here this morning. I just, uh, Jeff Salini at CNN, I just saw the uh, the headline. Research will show that Americans don't care about Hunter Biden unless it somehow ties into Joe Biden. Well, welcome to the conversation. <laughs> we're, we're glad, Jeff, we're glad that you're into the conversation of what Republicans 
really care. Republicans don't care about Hunter Biden. They never have. That's the lie that they tried to tell you or imply. Right. That, well, they're so concerned about Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden's not the president. No, it concerns the tie-in to the the enrichment of the Biden family because Mm -hmm. of influence peddling. It's all about Joe. It always has been. Well, it's like Washington Post, you know, basically implying that there are political ramifications for Hunter. Yeah. Did you even proofread that? (laughs) Do you know know that he does not serve in public office and never has? Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, anybody at the Washington Post listening to WMAL, you know, do you understand that Hunter Biden is not the president and not in politics? Right. I, we know the late night people are there, but you might want to get it to the editors yeah. to let yeah. them know that yeah. well, the political problems of he's not a politician. Right. It's not about him. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. All right. This is a this week is a perfect example of the difference between, uh, I think, most conservative media and the mainstream media. You've seen it uh, uh, this this week that uh, when the Trump charges came down, I don't know any conservative outlet that didn't go point by point by point by point on all the charges. You think about right. this. When, yeah. when Trump, with the whole Russia collusion, conservatives covered that every single day. What are the charges against it? If you want to know the difference between the 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 uh, the true journalistic media and even conservative media cuz we consider ourselves conservative libertarians mm-hmm. but the one thing we don't want to do is we don't want to you know number 1 not report a story we've never been to we've never been uh okay let's ignore this story because it might hurt, hurt our preconceived narrative right cuz we don't have any preconceived narratives we're looking for the truth we as conservative libertarians don't believe we've got a lie. No. I no. don't ha- I don't have to get along with anybody. No. Nope. I don't owe anybody. I'm not in debt to anybody where okay, we're going to ignore this story because it doesn't fit our particular narrative. Well, the only narrative I have is the truth and my conservative principles, which my conservative principles as you and I've often stated, we don't need to lie. The left has to lie. I don't have to lie. Nope. You know, and what a great thing that is. Must be tough to be on the left where you know you're constantly lying all the time. Because one of the greatest things I know, because, man, I'm telling you, when I was a teenager, oh, man, I was a liar. Mm. You know, if that Henry Rollins song that came out in the 90s, remember Liar, where Mm -hmm. he would scream it. There's the the flames all over the place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was... That was me. 
I, I was the big my dad. Uh, I, I he still gets a kick out of it. Kick out of it today. There's somebody that we know in in, in our life and knew back then that was the biggest BSer. Mm. And my father, really, you know, it wasn't that my father would call me a liar because obviously he knew when I was lying. Liars. <laughs> what you find out is liars really don't have a huge self awareness, do they, of what's actually surrounding them? No, they don't realize the people that lie all the time and everybody knows they're lying. Nobody lets them know they're lying, mm. but we all know they're lying. But my well, father eventually they get called on it. Yeah, eventually, yeah. And but my father would just say, "Stop being this person." Mm. And we all knew we agreed the guy was the biggest BSer. Oh, that burned. Mm. That really, really hurt. But when I think one of the greatest times in anybody's life is when you wake up one day and say, you know, there's no need for me to lie about anything in my life. Why do I have to? What a great relief. I remember as a teenager that it's like, okay, what do I got to say to this person? Because I can't remember all the lies I've told over the last week. Mm. How do I approach this person over there? I'm I'm a recovering liar. <laughs> Everybody lies. But I don't have to work in it every day anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and here's the thing. Um, the left has to get more creative in their lies. As, as liars often do, if you're cornered, then you have to start reshaping the lie. Or as we say, moving the goalpost. Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre's made a career out of it. Well, and and so, like I said, that's why we get upset when we view people that call themselves conservatives when they lie. We go, stop it! Don't mm-hmm. do that. Yeah, you don't need to do that, and you don't need to defend people that lie, even if you agree with them on the issues. You don't have to defend their lies. It, you can. You there's can, no you reason call for you to own right. something that they did. But if you look at this week, all the conservative media covered point by point by point the minutia of the charges. Mm-hmm. Nobody avoided it. No, nobody avoided it. And and on Russia collusion, they did, whether it's the true journalistic media, which the true journalistic media coming out now might not. When you look at it, might be more of those. You know, if you look at the Turleys, if you look at the Matt Taibis, if you look at the Barry Weisses, who are liberal, but believe in reporting the truth of a story, not that they are more moral than we conservatives who don't wish to lie, but the fact is they're going against the peer pressure that exists mm-hmm. right now on the left that you've got to follow the narrative. doesn't matter. got to lie. got to do whatever you've got to do. You've got to do, and they're not doing it. And there takes a certain you know level of guts to do that, especially in today's society, mm-hmm. because they have been they have been majorly shunned, even though they say well, we're Democrats and we're liberals, but. You know, we need to have journalistic integrity, and we need to tell the truth. You and I have talked about this many times. The biggest problem in this country is not racism. Right. It's not transphobia or homophobia. No. It's the acceptance, and it's not just lying. It's the acceptance of lying by the public. That's what I view as the biggest problem right now in this country because it's all over the place. But the difference is... The difference, and I'm not saying that there aren't people that call themselves conservatives that 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 uh, the, that uh, don't lie. There are, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we call them out when we see them do that mm-hmm. because, and it frustrates us because we don't believe 
There is, well, not believe, we know there's no reason the conservatives ever have to lie about where they stand. They don't. Right. But if you've seen over the last, you know, on, on how conservatives cover things versus the mainstream media, the liberal media, Remember the whole Devin Archer thing? I think Kevin Tober uh, probably covered it on, uh, he covers so much, mm. on uh, Newsbusters, but they didn't touch it. Devin Archer's testifying, you know, the deposition and all the stuff comes out, and they just won't cover it. If you want to know the difference between the conservative media and the liberal media, it's right there. Now, you may have the conservative, you may, when we cover something, you may disagree with our analysis, but we cover it. Yeah, there's so much going on, as you have seen. And, and Joe Biden is the perfect example, starting with the laptop way back then. Who are the people that wish to keep information away from you? Who are the people that claim that they are your saviors when it comes to stopping disinformation? Yet when you look back, as we do now, whether it's COVID, the laptop, whatever, they were the ones attempting to censor the truth. Right. And at the same time they were censoring the truth, they were promoting the lie. Yep. Because you can't find two bigger issues where you have had the culture of willing to of, of being willing to censor and lie half of the country, which is the Democrats and the media actively promoting the lie and telling you the opposite that they were against disinformation and they were the sole purveyors of the truth when they were the exact opposite of it. And so you have to ask, forget about even getting to the issues. You've got to ask yourself a question. Why does the mainstream media and the Democrats, why do they insist on censoring information from the adults in our society? Because I can hear it. I already know what the argument is. Mm. Well, um, the the uh, Republicans don't want uh, fifth, uh, you know, five year olds uh, to know uh, about things about sex, so uh, they censor too. Adults, yeah, adults, right? Just to cover that, just to cover our bases on it. Yeah. Well, you don't want the young kids to know everything, so you're censoring too. I'm trying to sound maybe like John Kerry there, mm. I don't know, but I don't know if I'm or or uh, John John Kerry Gump. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's important for people to recognize that. And, you know, that's all, you know, Matt Taibbi, when they came forward, can't think of the other guy that came forward, too. Just his name popped out of my head. Michael but, Schellenberger? Michael Schellenberger, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Jonathan Turley. Yeah. A Dershowitz. Right. You know, all coming forward, people on the left saying we got to tell the truth. We've got to stop lying. Yeah. you got to stop lying on the left. Stop lying. Stop trying to censor. If you're going to back up what you believe, back it. Why do you have to lie about what you believe? Why do you have to? And, and everything, when you think about it right now, from the border to electric vehicles to the grid. I mean, we dealt with it today. It was like, okay, is this the day that we start having to have rolling, you know, brownouts or blackouts? Right. In the state of Texas, because the warning started coming down earlier, you know, yesterday morning. Uh Uh-oh, the wind isn't blowing. What are we going to do? Everything from the lies of and and the continuing lies of climate change that never have come true. Right. uh, To the fact that we can run the the grid on solar and wind 
Everybody knows it's a lie. Why do you allow your side to promote something that's so stupidly a lie? Why do you support your party for censoring? Why are you afraid of the truth? I'm not afraid of the truth. I've got no problem. Look, right now we're going through it. We're going through. You've, you've got Republicans and conservatives going through a thing of should we have our loyalty to Trump or should our loyalty be to promoting the issues and winning long term? Eric and I have been blunt. The conservative movement will continue without me, without Eric, without Trump, yep, without anybody who currently is in the Republican Party right now. The conservative movement will continue. It's not about the people. It's about that, the ideas. That, that, are, that are articulated at one particular point, even though they can be important to pushing something forward. And all three of those people were very important in pushing a lot of positive things of where the country should be going. Trump, number three. I'm number two. Eric, number one. <laughs> mm, always. Okay, I couldn't even take, I couldn't even handle that one. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but no, we, we've got on Trump for, we've been got on Trump many times for lying. I'll never forget the woman that called the show one time. Trump has never lied. Well, that was a lie. <laughs> I never forget what she called. Trump has never lied ever. Yeah, really. <laughs> Everybody lies, and there's the problem. Is is that you know, if well, everybody look, if everybody, even, everybody doesn't lie. No, everybody lies. Eventually, they lie. When it comes to the issues, um. I, everybody may lie. Everybody tells a white speak, lie. You know, generally lie. speaking, everybody lies. Yeah. And so there's, you know, but there's the problem. You don't have to jump out and defend somebody else's lie. You don't have to politically jump out and defend anybody else but yourself and your own actions. When was the last but, time? When was the last time you lied about something that related to an issue on the radio? I don't lie on the radio. Okay. I only lie to you when we're, when the mic is on. Well, no, that, that's the only point I'm trying to bring up. Everybody, because we all tell white lies to, mm -hmm. for example, you're talking to a kid, you're not going to tell them the full truth because you wish to protect them. Mm -hmm. That's Santa different. Claus is real. Yeah, yeah I'm, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, many Americans actually believe that lie, <laughs> that Santa mm -hmm. Claus does exist mm -hmm. in a different way. Hey, yeah. the, there's free stuff out there. Still a lie. Yeah. Now, now yeah. that may be, whether it's a lie or just they're clueless and ignorant as to how things actually work would be a great debate. But that's the point I'm trying to make that line on on the issues in the media and in politics about the issues that are important to us. Well, and, not but, just in but here's but my point is is that people are okay with the lies because as long as their lies aren't going to be called out, they're not going to be called out for any of their lies that they tell, then they think, okay, well, I don't care if they lie. It is very clear when somebody who is in public office is lying. Eventually, it is very clear when they keep repeating the lie, and more and more, it is proven that, well, of course he knew about his son's business dealings. But they're okay with it because the lie facilitates something, and they're part of it. So they excuse it away that way. And that's the problem. 
I've always lived by the standard politically that I don't have to get out and jump in, even if I voted for the person. Right. I don't have to jump in. I'm not their defense lawyer. In fact, I'm going to hold their feet to the fire. I'm probably going to be more frustrated with them if I believe they're lying about something or they're doing something that I disagree with because it's not why I voted for them. So they're going against what they promised to do. They're going against the principles and morals of the people who widely supported them. And those are the things we talk Mm -hmm. about on the left. That doesn't apply. Tell me what principles and morals that they hold their elected officials to and expect them to follow through with. Oh, I do remember a lie you told Mm. on the air. Yeah. About your your time with Aerosmith. I know. It was only eight years, not nine. (laughs) But what are you going to do? But when you look at coverage... Mm. And you look at everything from, you know, because you, you go back to, you know, the Trump campaign in 2015 and whatever. Right. And you look at, you know, Russia collusion. I don't know of one conservative outlet that didn't cover that in specific details. There's nothing on the right that compares to the wanting to censor and not cover what's going on in society like the mainstream media and the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Nothing has ever existed to this to this level with that culture that exists. Not conspiracy, but the culture that exists, that it's okay to do that. And you ask yourself, why? Because to me, that is such a foreign thing. I believe what I believe because I truthfully believe it's the best way. Mm-hmm. If you have to lie, then you don't actually believe. No, you don't believe it. That what your party is doing is the best way to do things because otherwise you wouldn't have to lie. Why are we lying about the border? Well, why do the Democrats lie about the border? Why, we're, why? why are we lying about genders? Why are we trying yeah. to just yeah. make something real that isn't real? Party of science. Why? To get along? To go along with what the last person whispered in by ear, and I've got to repeat it again. How many genders are there, Mr. Biden? Three. Oh, man. <laughs> that was the best. You are so wrong. <laughs> and nobody called him out in, on his bigotry. Exactly. Somebody should have asked him, what's the third one? Yeah, and the left still voted for him. <laughs> wow. 86690-RED-EYE. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. Denny's is here to serve America's professional truck drivers, providing a hot down-home meal on the go. Order ahead at Denny's.com today. Hours in participating restaurants may vary. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Reading this headline, we'll talk about it. Uh, Ford preparing white-collar workers to fill parts orders if UAW strikes. Uh, you know, we've really uh, talked about this, and we had some great uh, calls from UAW workers early, earlier this week because we talked about the absurdity of where unions are right now. Unions no longer, the UAW is no longer looking for, 
to share the profits of companies. What they wish to do is have the taxpayer give them a living wage because of the subsidies and because of the mandating of electric vehicles. Even with the subsidies, car companies can't make a profit on it. And so at these electric car companies, when the transition is made, the workers are making a lot less, excuse me, a lot less money, and they're furious. Yeah, right. But your leaders, your leaders have been promoting the climate change crap with the Democrats for years. You understand the UAW, and I know if you're a rank-and-file member, it's not what you want, but you've been paying your dues over the years mm-hmm. to leadership. Yep. That has been promoting what has gotten you to the situation that you're in right now. How did you not see it coming over the years? How was there not an uprising with union members to say we can't keep doing this? This is going to kill the business model and this is going to end our jobs ultimately. Bonus show. And he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Download our app today, our Red Eye Radio app. Listen when and where you choose if you can't listen live overnight. Uh, well, Ford is uh, Ford Motor Company is writing plans for its white-collar salaried employees to step in and keep parts flowing in the instance that its blue-collar union workers walk off the job next month amid threats that the United Auto Workers are preparing to strike. At Detroit's big three automakers, the Detroit Free Press first reported that Ford is holding meetings with salaried workers like engineers to coordinate and prepare them for filling in at warehouses and operating forklifts to assure dealerships and customers that they are still able to obtain vehicle parts if operations shut down. Ford is preparing uh, its uh, uh, salary workers, they say now, the outlet obtained a recording of a Ford manager explaining the plans to salaried workers along with internal company documents uh, providing uh, uh, details of that. Hmm. We are, quote, we are working hard to reach a new deal, but like we do for any scenario where customer service could be interrupted, we need to plan for the possibility of a UAW strike, the manager said in uh, audio. Our customers and dealers are counting on us to ship parts so that we can keep Ford vehicles uh, on the uh, uh, road. The UAW has threatened that its 150,000 members at Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler uh, are prepared to strike if new deals are not reached uh, in the ongoing uh, negotiations by the September 14th uh, deadline. We spent uh, some time here over the last couple of weeks talking about the situation with the, uh, the the UAW and really how incredible it is and the uh, complaints. I think there was complaint when Lordstown shut down. I think there was a complaints of the uh, of the the fact that uh, those workers on electric vehicles were making a lot less. Right. And that's been one of the concerns of the unions. And it's like, well, yeah, but we told you this was coming. Right. 
We said a long time ago. And your union leadership has been promoting the climate change agenda, the EV agenda, and everything else. And it's simply, it's the the problem is simple. Uh, the UAW is now working for automobile companies that are moving towards electric vehicles because of government mandates. The subsidies that the government is giving out still doesn't cost doesn't cover the cost of producing an electric vehicle. Ford losing billions on electric vehicles. And sorry, UAW, if your company has decided to get into bed with the government to produce a vehicle that Americans aren't looking for because the so-called central planners, Biden and his administration and the Democratic Party, believe that's the best way because, as we've told you, that's Bidenomics. If anybody wants a definition of Bidenomics, it's really easy. And and I I can make a very easy argument <laughs> that Bidenomics is a lot worse than trickle down. Yeah, if you if you want to get back to that trickle down argument uh, uh, again, because Bidenomics is about the government mandating what you should be buying. Think about this. Joe Biden, you believe because he's in office, he's had a long career, the Democrats have had a tremendous amount of power, which means Americans apparently and union members who have voted overwhelmingly Democrat over the last 40 years in this country believe that a guy like Joe Biden can manage an entire economy and Joe Biden can figure out what type of automobile you should buy because he has his technical expertise and economic expertise that he knows that you should be buying vehicles that you don't want, you can't afford, and the raw materials for building those vehicles he doesn't want to go after. He wants to get those he wants to get the raw materials to build the vehicles that nobody wants to buy because nobody can afford it from foreign nations including foreign nations that are our enemies. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah that's that's Bidenomics. That's not uh, trickle down economics, that's trickle back economics because it's as effective as peeing in the wind. Yep, and it's as trickle back is as bad as nickelback. Yeah, okay. I'd rather listen to Nickelback almost. <laughs> and and so we, you know, you and I have always gone back to, uh, you know, the government unions that exist today and say, you know, initially, you know, you, you look at, you know, FDR, big promoter of unions. Mm -hmm. You look at the, uh, who is viewed as one of the greatest labor leaders of all time, George Meany. All were absolutely against public unions. They made it very clear Unions exist to get some of the profits that they believe they are owed yep. from profitable companies. It's about profit sharing. It's, unions were created for profit sharing. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and so they knew, you know, government is not a profit business. But where are unions more most successful today? The growth is all in public unions. All in public unions. And so what you have now 
is sort of a hybrid of that. These companies, they know can't be profitable. So the union's leaders are begging the fact that the companies must pay them more or the government is not going to give them the subsidies to build the cars that Americans don't want and can't afford. That's the insanity right now of what's going on. We saw it coming. Well, the union leadership tended to ignore it, and you're not, I'm telling you right now, you're not going to be able to make the salary because the public is not going to support unions. The CEO, Robert L. Peters, and his <laughs> business plan have the, the company in tens of trillions of dollars of debt. No way to pay it off. How do you think it's going to end? Yep. There's, it, and I don't, I seriously don't know how they're, up until now, hasn't been and still isn't an uprising in the union membership to say leadership is wrong to do this with our money to keep voting for this hammer on the business model that has been supporting us all this time. Well, um, you know, I I can't say, you know, about now, but when I was a member of the United Steelworkers way back when, and when when you get hired there, there's a tremendous amount of just do what you're supposed to do. I mean, there's a lot of... Don't say anything. Yeah. Not, you know, I won't even call it peer pressure. There is, there wasn't even at that at, at that time, and I'm not going to speak for unions today because I don't know what the situation is, but at my time, you could feel it. You knew, okay, just keep your mouth shut and, and do your job to try to keep your job because you know you have a good job. And there was intimidation that would come from a very subtle intimidation that you would feel and know was there from management. Mm-hmm. Or not management. I've so heard the, that from, the, the, the from un, others the, yeah, the, the, in the, the un, past. The union leadership. Now, when, yeah. I, when, I, when I was in the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, there was less of that, but we were, you know, we were a very, very, uh, we worked for a small company. Mm-hmm. Our, our, you know, our, you know, it was, it, you know, our company, I think had about 90 employees and we were represented by them. We didn't have, we had a business manager, you know, we shared a business manager. Yeah. And, but, but frankly, when the business manager came in, the rank and file of the company really didn't trust them. I remember when we signed one of the union things and, uh, you know, when we had um, uh, a contract that had come up and I'd only been there for about two years and, the guys there, they didn't trust the business manager. They said, you got a college degree, look it over for us. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking it over. So it looks like a good deal to me. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. If you want to hire a lawyer, that'd be a, another thing you want. If, you, if you know, we all want to pitch in to do that because mm-hmm. you don't trust the business manager. I mean, that was that mistrust even between the union because you didn't have a business manager on site. You didn't have really have mm-hmm. any type of leadership. It wasn't as if you, we worked for a, uh, you know, uh, a, a company that had 5,000 employees, so you had maybe one union representative that was there that you trusted. Right. The business manager came in from outside. Hmm. And and so I remember reading, I said, yeah, I think it's a great deal. I'd sign it. There's only one negative about it. And I remember it was like there was an immediate 8% raise. Hmm. And I said, I said, if you sign this, it's fine, but I won't be working here anymore because 
if they're immediately at this small company going to be an 8% increase, they're going to lay off. Yeah. It's exactly what happened. I got laid off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, nothing is free. It doesn't matter if it, well, whether you're a union or not a union, economics still applies. Right. You raise it 8%, they're a small company, boom, somebody's got to go. Right. Sure. And then that got into the point of, all right, we're going to let you go because you're more expensive than even paying time and a half for some people to do it. And we can get the people to do time and well, a half. Well, you know, I mean. And then, you, the, then there was a complaints, remember, of unions that yeah. there's forced time and a half. And then yeah, that right. always, that pressure always comes. But Right. And, and uh, you know, you bring, you, you touch on something. And that is, look, there are a number of elements that affect any business model. So. Uh, you could have a number of things, I think, cafe standards uh, in, in, to some degree uh, to I, I don't I can't quantify it. But if you look at the the point that the, uh, the UAW was suffering in, in 2008 as the uh, domestic OEMs were bleeding cash, you know, and then the big bailout came ultimately for GM first a bridge loan and then, you know, the bailout. There are different market uh, 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 factors that, that come into play, which you have to build, you know, against. You have to weather these storms. How do you not see the ones that are created, that are man-made, created by regulation, created by policy, created by mandates, how do you not see that one in the making, not in the horizon as it's already been built, mm-hmm. but in the making? How do you not see that far down the road when there are so many elements that every business model, because we look at manufacturing in the USA and it's, you know, everything from the populace. Well, you know, all the jobs left and blah, 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 to the. Well, you know, um very fact that the left doesn't want manufacturing in the U.S. This president doesn't really care about manufacturing right. in the U.S. You're part of the problem, in fact. Any plant that's manufacturing anything is part of the problem because you're killing the planet. I know you have to build EVs, but, man, we're going to have to fix that, too. He's get, not you, well, concerned you, you got, about you, your job. Well, you... Think about this. You got to build EVs, but we're not going to provide you with the natural resources in the United States to produce those uh, EVs. Okay, so only we only get it from across the sea. Well, you've just given incentive to build more EVs overseas, overseas. instead of here in exactly the United where States. I, was going. I mean, this isn't, this isn't rocket science. These jobs union will members. leave again. Yeah, and it's by design. That's the next horizon event. Eight six six ninety red eye. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. And we had heard from uh, earlier this week, we heard from some uh, union members in Michigan. And they know what's going on and they're against it. But, you know, it's we've been warning of this for the longest time. Mm. But unions 
are not going to survive in an industry where the company is producing a product that the government that they can't make a profit on, even with the subsidies across the board. Yeah. And there's subsidies. It's not just at the end where there's a subsidy. It's all throughout the manufacturing of the batteries and everything else, the subsidies that are thrown in and more billions, hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars of subsidies over the next 10 years to get to full electric vehicles. And they're not going to be able to make a profit out of it. And it's not the gravy trains not going to continue with the subsidies. And even with the subsidies, they can't make money on it. There's no way. Absolutely no way. Unless you use massive artificial intelligence, which will mean a huge loss of of workers. And I don't even know if artificial intelligence can can uh, can do it. You're going to need the worker somehow, but you're not going to be able to make money. And we've seen what yeah. has happened. You know, well, with- and, and here would be my question is. You know, we already know about the intimidation and and the whole uh, mob mentality that the left has been using on agenda items, especially things that have risen to the point of mandates like EVs. How, if you're a union and you're the UAW, but even the UAW, how do they issue any dissent in that equation and get away with it? This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is is Red Eye Radio. And I'm Gary McNamara along with Robert L. Peters. <laughs> That's Mr. Robert L. Peters Mr. to <laughs> you, Jack. <Not> early. <laughs> if you're wondering, what? What are they talking about? Uh, apparently that's the, uh, the fake name that Biden's been using to communicate, uh, according to uh, James Comer, uh, with his son and maybe other business partners uh, in the uh, entire Hunter Biden debacle. There was a fairly famous actual Robert L. Peters. He died in May of this year after a battle with cancer. He was a Canadian graphic designer. I don't know if they were using that name. You know, it, it sounds like a common name, except for the fact that you, you've thrown in L. And, and Robert, the actual Robert L. Peters was always called Robert L. Peters. He was always referred to as Robert L. Peters. So I wonder why they would choose that name knowing that it's, it's there's someone actually back then that did exist with that name. Hey, you can relate to this. All right. There's a Doom Tour, a Word Doom Tour. I'm giving it. It's going on. Yeah, I'm giving it. It's the San Francisco Doom Loop Tour. Yeah. Chargers 30 bucks to go around and see the city's squalor. (laughs) Can't make this up. Nope. 
And it's good to I will say one thing, though. It's good to see capitalism back in San Francisco. <laughs> People that say we can make a buck doing something here. This is the kind of innovation that we need Listen, uh, in California. All right, everybody. Uh, welcome to the tour. We're going to get inside the armored vehicle and go see all of uh, what's wrong with San Francisco. Set to, to set to start on August 26th, the tour plans to lead participants around the city. There's a charge of $30 for general admission for the tour. Mm-hmm. The tour will start at City Hall, continue through Mid-Market, the Tenderloin, Union Square, the webpage for the event says, we will view the open, <laughs> let me do it in the way that you would do any type of tourist guide, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Doom Tour will visit the open-air drug markets, the abandoned tech offices, the outposts of the nonprofit industrial complex, and the deserted department stores. Can you imagine the tour guide, too? Uh, According to San Francisco Anonymous Insider, two guides described as an urban policy professional, Mm. card-carrying city commissioner overseeing a municipal department with an annual budget (laughs) of over $500 Uh and co-founder of San Francisco's largest neighborhood association, will host the tour. San Francisco Anonymous Insider did not respond to requests for comments at publication time. This was a couple of weeks ago, though. Randy Shaw, executive director of the Tenderloin Housing Clinic, questioned why anyone would pay money to go on a tour. Why would anyone pay $30 to walk around areas they can see for free? You might feel, you know, safety in numbers, though. Hmm. If people want to see the highlights of our history... They can join a weekly tour put on by our museum. According to Eventbrite page, while it's official, if it's on Eventbrite, the total walking distance of the tour is expected to be one and a half miles, and sneakers are advised. Oh, you're not going to see everything in one and a half miles. That's You're just not going to see everything. But I guess it's probably all you can handle. Yeah. Can you imagine, though, if they did it on a bus and you had one of those tour guides that, you know, was talking over the microphone? And uh, coming up here on your right, uh, we'll be passing through the open-air drug market. Now, if anyone has a $5 or $10 bill, you'll uh, just want to hold that out the window and then hold your palm out straight and don't say anything and don't look the person in the eye. Can I I saw this article here. Some joker is advertising... Uh, for a San Francisco Doom Loop walking tour for $30 a ticket. Mm-hmm. In what seems an elaborate troll job, mm-hmm. but managed to get published and promoted on Eventbrite, someone's offering a chance to view the open-air drug markets at Civic Center for 30 bucks, which I'm pretty sure you can do for free. <laughs> San Francisco has a proud and still vibrant history of notable outdoor walking tours, the Hitchcock Walking Tour, the Mission District Mural Walking Tours, and the Haunted San Francisco Walking Tours. But the well, latest promoted walking tour is Stoking Fear of a Different Nature, offering $30, $33.50 with service fees, mm-hmm. to get close and personal to the doom and squalor of downtown San Francisco in what's being billed as the Downtown Doom Loop Walking Tour in uh, an event bright invite. Well, the difference, though, is 
that on the tour, your money is taken before you walk through that area. If you're not officially on the tour, your money is taken as you're walking through that area. There's a difference. It just depends on when you want to pay. <laughs> this likely publicity stunt was flagged Tuesday afternoon on the Twitter account of Tenderloin activist and recovery advocate Tom Wolf. Mm-hmm. Whoever is hosting this 90-minute walking tour simply described as uh, uh, San Francisco Anonymous Insider. Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea, though. <laughs> ah, but Gary and I, we give you the doom tour of America, the entire country, every night for free. So, sure, pay money on Eventbrite for some August 26th <laughs> event hosted anonymously by someone who won't tell you who they are. And maybe your $30 investment would teach you a new lesson about unrepented crime in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not a crime. <laughs> like taking money, f- like taking candy from a baby. Well, that's it. I mean, because it would be pretty easy. Now, having said that, I am the CEO of. Solar Powered Tanning Beds Incorporated. I'm selling $1,500 lawn chairs. Well, way back, this goes back about 40 years ago, I tried to hold a uh, KKK tanning contest. And just, you know. <laughs> it ended quickly. <laughs> Couldn't get anybody interested, I'd say. Nobody, nobody was. I'm sorry, you're going to have to remove the. I mean, you can't wear the. That's, that's <laughs> never that's mind. For the, that's for the, the, Just get out of here. <laughs> you, you would have to, and, and I'm saying this in a, in a non-purient way. You would have to expose yourself, take off. Everything. Yes. That's, that's, <laughs> or they're I mean, your face, standing so, out there in a, in a speedo, but still wearing the hood. The hood, <laughs> oh man. They're just ignorant oh. enough to do that. All right. So next week, as we know, we've got the uh, debate coming up. All right. And they're publicizing it. Mm-hmm. Ron DeSantis needs to take a sledgehammer to Ramaswamy, the political newcomer who was rising in the polls. He should defend Donald Trump when Chris Christie inevitably attacks the former president, mm-hmm. and he needs to attack Joe Biden and the media no less than three to five times. A firm associated with the Super Political Action Committee, it's not enough to have a political action committee, now they're Super Political Action Committee, uh, that has effectively taken over DeSantis's presidential campaign, posted online hundreds of pages of blunt advice, advice, research memos, and internal polling in early nominating states to guide the Florida governor before the high-stakes Republican presidential debate Wednesday in Milwaukee. The trove of documents provides an extraordinary glimpse into the thinking of the DeSantis operation about a debate the candidates' advisors see as crucial. There are four basic must-dos. One of the memos urges DeSantis, whom the document uh, refers to as GRD, Number one, attack Joe Biden and the media three to five times. State your position vision two to three times. 
hammer Ramaswamy in a response, defend Donald Trump, if he's not there, Mm. in response to a Chris Christie attack. The documents were posted this week on the website of Axiom Strategies, a company owned by Jeff Rowe, the chief strategist of DeSantis' super PAC, Never Back Down. The New York Times was alerted to the existence of the documents by a person not connected to the DeSantis campaign or the Super PAC. After the Times reached out to never back down for comment Thursday, the group removed uh, from the website a key memo summarizing the suggested strategy for the debate. Super PACs are barred by law from strategizing in private with political campaigns to avoid running afoul of those rules. It is not unusual for outside groups to post polling documents in the open. Although in an obscure corner of the Internet where insiders know to look. Posting such documents online is risky. The news media arrivals can discover them. Yeah, I, I don't see any reason to ever post it online. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, they say uh, news meter rivals can discover them and the advice can prove embarrassing. But super PACs often decide the risk is justified to convey what they consider crucial non-public information to the candidate without violating the law. But it is unusual, it appears to be the case for a super PAC or a consulting firm working for it to post documents on its own website. And in such expansive detail down to the exact estimate of turnout in the Iowa caucuses. I have no idea what anybody should do in this. You have too many variables that have never existed before. No, it, in, it really in, is in, a wide a open field. If you think about it, let's say Trump came out tomorrow and said, okay, you know what? I've decided not to run. Let's say they dropped all the charges and he decided not to run. It would, it would even, it would, it's wide open now. Or there's so many variables. It's not wide open. Isn't the right phrase. But there are so many variables in play at any given moment. I still don't know how to apply anything except for you You could look at, all right, then then where do the polls go? Let you take Trump out of the equation for a moment for the sake of the uh, discussion. And then, all right, DeSantis floats to the top and then Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy's been gaining a little bit based on some of the things he's said that people like. But ultimately... You don't know what tomorrow is going to to bring. You don't know where the left is going to go, what they're going to throw at anyone inside the GOP. And you also don't know what the rank and file GOP voter right now is thinking if you remove Trump out of the equation. I have to believe that I'd like to believe that it's about the issues, that it's about everything right now that the left is doing that is over-the-top insane. I'm fairly confident that for most voters, or at least many of them, that is the case. But there are so many variables right now in this equation. I I really can't tell you. Because you're dominated dominated by the indictments. The indictments dominate such... 
suck yeah, all if the you wind. Take, if you yeah, take all the yeah. everybody. Right, exactly. So, mm-hmm. it, Which is kind of my point in, in setting the table of, all right, let's say they dropped all the charges, and then and then Trump also decided, well, I don't really want to run again, and, and he got out. Now it's like, okay, all right, where are we? Now, it would seem like for a moment we're on another planet because we've been in this mode for so long. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, if you if hypothetically Trump says, look, I don't want to be a distraction because all this is going on, mm. uh, you know, we're going to send the Republican Party in the right direction. And by the way, else, neither but... of us have been dining with Janet Yellen. Y- yes. As we yeah, line out these. Yes. We neither of us have been dining scenarios. Yeah. Right. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> but but if but it's where you can it's where you can get to the issues. Because yeah. if you, it's the only way you can get to, all right, if Republicans start talking about the issues, because if Trump was, if Trump said, look, I'm out mm. uh, because I need to focus in on this, mm. well, then the only thing you have is the issues. Yeah. You know, you might say that you have the, the, uh, not nah, because the, like I said, the, the, it's not even Trump's personality now. Everything is the, everything is the indictment and corruption and all that stuff, which is why I think that if Trump, voluntarily said i'm done now it'd be interesting would he endorse anybody <laughs> <laughs> he might but he's not going to sign it <laughs> <laughs> anybody but christie no but when you when you look at it i i say all right um uh i i would look and say the 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 two people still making noise would still be ramaswamy and desantis yeah you know yeah. tim scott i like tim scott and mm-hmm. I would rather have Tim Scott over any Democrat, of course, easy by a oh, million yeah. a, sure. a million times. But what does he stand for? Right. I know exactly what DeSantis stands for. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at it culturally, and I think if Trump voluntarily went out, a lot of Trump supporters, the vast majority, I believe, would probably go to DeSantis. Why? Not that someone go to Ramaswamy, but they go to DeSantis because... On the cultural issues, he's proven himself. On the economy, right, right. he's proven himself. He's proven that right. he's willing to go to to battle, which is something we talked about right. years ago when Trump was still president. We said, after Trump is no longer president, at whatever point, we hope that there is still some fight left in the GOP. We want to see that willingness to fight in live on in the GOP, and I think DeSantis represents that. We'll talk more eight six six ninety red eye. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on roadside inspections. Once a roadside inspection is completed, the officer will close it out, which involves the officer writing or typing up the report. The more the officer found during the inspection, the longer this will take. If violations were discovered, most officers, as a courtesy, will explain the violations to the driver. If there were any out-of-service violations, the officer will normally explain what must be done to get the out-of-service order lifted. Drivers need to be very attentive during this part of the inspection. The driver also needs to read and understand the complete inspection report. After receiving the inspection report, the driver has 24 hours to get the roadside inspection report to the motor carrier. If the driver will not be returning to a company facility within the next 24 hours, The driver needs to know to get it on the way to you via email, mail, or fax within 24 hours. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. 
Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, uh, 86690 uh, uh, Red Eye. So, yeah, it's interesting when you when you look at it. Uh, I, I, but if Trump was out of it completely, because that's the hypothetical we were asking, let's say he said, okay, I'm not going to run because of everything, and and he does didn't endorse anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, I you know, I, I look at Tim Scott, and when I say that, you know, I don't know where Tim, I know what Tim Scott stands for. I'm talking about, since he, what has separated him in the primary? There you go. Okay, because I know Tim Scott's a conservative. Yeah. So, and that's why right. I said I'd have no problem voting for him if he was running against any Democrat like right. that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so, but he's been just very quiet where nothing stands out. Ramaswamy has stood out. I mean, even the, the last week, there's two things that we'll get to coming up next, and then also DeSantis, too, coming up here. to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carling and I'm Gary McNamara. So on the, the campaign trail to begin with, even from where we sit, you don't really hear, if you hear something, it's either Trump, it's Ramaswamy, uh, it's DeSantis. You don't see a lot of media coverage on the rest of them. The only thing for Nikki, for example, if you ask me for Nikki Haley, the only thing that comes to memory for me is where she said, uh, you know, bring the, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, bring Disney to South Carolina. Right. And and so, uh, again, not that they may not be saying things in the campaign trail. I'm just saying what's being reported as to then what the public, if that's what that what I have seen in it, what hits me first is probably what hits other people because that's been publicized more. Yeah. And yeah. and so yeah. you have to go in recognizing that most people, for example, uh, I'm going to guess most people can't tell you who Ramaswamy is. Yeah. Right. You know, just right. I mean, if you're in the loop and paying attention, you know, you know. But the fact is, I mean, he's had a couple of he's had that great moment uh, talking uh, about the radical transgender movement. In, in general, that was a great moment that he had. Then he had one of those moments where you go, mm, and uh, the article was written four days ago. Ramaswamy breaks with GOP on decriminalization of hard drugs. Mm-hmm. I'm in that direction. I'm not a war on drugs uh, person. Republican presidential candidate uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is breaking with his party when it comes to the drug economic gripping communities across the nation by supporting decriminalization. 
and eventually legal, legalization of certain hard drugs. Now, he's not talking about fentanyl, and he wants to close the border to stop the fentanyl, but he's talking about some, well, I, I guess some some kind of things that, for example, our Treasury Secretary might take. <laughs> yeah, hallucinogens, some hallucinogens. And, and so he says, you don't hear me talk about the war on drugs. I'm not a war on drugs person. Uh, at the event, he said he was probably the only person in the modern history of the Republican Party open to a conversation about providing some off-ramps for people to access certain hard drugs, drugs such as some psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's not where the Republican Party is right now. And especially with what's going on in Portland and these other cities, maybe if all those things weren't going on, but there's a certain sensitivity. And if I was Ramaswamy, I would say, uh, pot, yes. Yeah, you know, we can I, talk I, about the legalization for marijuana on the federal level and have that conversation. Uh, but everything else, there are so many issues right now with everything else in play yep. in these areas. And we're seeing so many things where we have to get back to the conversation. But after we determine whether it's either correlation or causation. So is is it the legalization that is amplifying the situations already in play? Were those situations bound to amplify even without the, or decriminalization, not legalization right. in these areas? Uh, we can have those conversations, but until we figure that out, I don't think we can have a full conversation. And just leave it at that. Right, and, and where he was talking about the fact of, you know, because he did specifically mention initially veterans and those dealings with, uh, with those dealing with PTSD. Mm-hmm. And we hear about, you know, micro microdoses of some psychedelics may be able to help you. Right. That's a medical thing. That's right. not a legalization. That's not a generalized legalization of hard drugs. No, that's so, that is not. We're, we're not talking about a recreational use at that point. If you're going that direction, that's fine. But obviously that would have to be managed. Right. Medically. Because uh, he he also he talked about people dying because of fentanyl and said they could have survived if they had an alternative path. At that point, you start getting into the the weeds, which is okay. What exactly? What hard yeah. drugs are you going to allow them? Right. Yeah. And the fact is, do you really need to go into that when uh, right now you're trying to win a primary and you are talking about you're hinting at. You're all over the. You're not saying it directly, but you're close enough to people going. Well, wait a minute. If he would do it, he he just said, "Well, I'd open it up for people uh, to do it because they're dying of fentanyl." Well, then you're saying, "I'm considering. I might consider legalizing hard drugs." And if it wasn't the time that we live in right now, that might be an issue that people go, "Oh, whatever." But with what's going on in Portland and San Francisco, the big cities, when it comes to the drugs and the homeless camps and the enabling of of the of the, uh, the 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 homeless to do drugs by government not where to go right now well and and, but, and you look at the you know for his point on i'm not a war on drugs type person i understand his point and the the criticism of you know since the beginning of the war on drugs it's really only amplified but here's what you also have to look at in that equation even when we talk about the legalization of just mar- marijuana what has happened? Well, the taxation that's come along with that from uh, all of the different jurisdictions and now the conversation of the taxation, if it ever got to the federal level, of another 8% on top of those jurisdictions and their taxes has driven up 
the interest and participation by the cartels, including their profits on marijuana, and that's a problem. And so Mm -hmm. if you say, well, I'm not a war on drugs, well, it's you can take the whole war on drugs out of it. Let's talk about the dynamics of when the government gets involved and exactly where that goes and what it leads to. But when he talks about this is interesting when he says, you know, he's not the war on drug, yet he stressed the need to use a U.S. military to secure the border and combat Mexican drug cartels. Well, that's the whole point. That's a war on drugs. Exactly. My whole point is you say, well, (laughs) I don't like the and 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 he's what he's doing, again, is jumping on to the and he may have some fair criticism on certain points and the whole war on drugs thing about what the approach was is is but my question would be is that because generally speaking we had a war on drugs or is it because we had the wrong approach to begin with and we're not getting to the source and that's and i think a big problem and he's probably talking about the war on drugs where you incarcerate people but yeah, you're still right, going to have you're right. still going to have to fight mm-hmm. illegal drugs and if fentanyl's on the street you're going to have to put people in jail yeah. who are distributing it Right. And I and, I, I do agree with them on, on, you know, we do have to go to war with the cartels. We, we're going to have to, I right. mean, not a literal war, but we're going to have to treat it as such, at least at that and, at our border. And so not that it's a top issue, but remember, you're in a primary, you know, yeah. Cause, yeah. Because, the, because it's not just the war on drugs. It's how the war on drugs relates to what every Republican sees going on in Portland. Mm-hmm. Because there's yeah. been a focus on it. Everybody knows. What's going on in Portland and San Francisco? And what's one of the problems? In Portland, for example, the drugs have all been legalized. And the people are screaming in, in Portland, we can't do this. Mm-hmm. We can't live this way. And that was supposed to be the nirvana. So it's the wrong time. You know, you could be talking about in the future, we've got to find a way to do this in a generalized yeah. term. Yeah. But the fact is, when I hear of what Ramaswamy, the two things I think of is the excellent transgender radical transgender oh, yeah. argument that he gave one of the best i've seen from any republican out there right uh and yeah. then but then the weakness was uh that then i look at a nikki haley and i go no nope, you lost it with the whole thing on uh, on uh, you know we'll bring disney to south carolina mm-hmm. we'll take their jobs mm-hmm. it was like eh christie lost me you know, completely lost us with the fact that no i'd keep ray as fbi director well, then you're completely clueless as to where the Republican Party is going. You might as well run. If that's your opinion, you might be better running along with Robert Kennedy Jr. <laughs> yeah, right. Seriously with that. And no, but I mean, for the, for, the, for the most part, where Christie stands, look, any of the Republicans would be better than Biden or Harris or any Democrat sure. for that matter. Sure. That's not the point. We're talking about strategy and where you stand in the debates right right now Mm -hmm. and so with the you know i with uh ramaswamy i'd continue doing what he's doing with um christy i don't know with with desantis uh i would say don't be so robotic Uh, uh at times he just you know, he gets into that. He gets into the monotone because you're looking at it as a political thing. So smile once, smile more, which which you he know. has done in the past. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he, he see you. I, I yeah, I see your point. I, I think he has become 
he's gotten into the mode and and it would probably at some point almost become uh you know second nature i guess being in the position that he's been in on on so many issues where you go into response mode as opposed to campaigning mode yes. and there are two different those are two different yes. modes and and by the way i'm not talking about what he did last even Last month, two months ago, six months ago, a year ago, I'm talking about the situation you're in right, right now. now. Right there, now, because there is a yep. we've we've always been against people living in the bubble of today. Yeah, yeah. But in politics, you have to live where you are today, in hopefully getting to a different place, a better place tomorrow and next week. So I'm, this is just advice right right now, and I would say be focused on the uh, be focused on the economy. And when it comes to cultural issues, somehow, and I don't know how he gets there, but somehow he has to, you and I both love the right way that Ramaswamy talked to that woman mm-hmm. about the radical transgender movement. Right. And how he phrased it and how he phrased about women and women's rights and these attacks on women. And, you know, and uh, and so it was it was beautiful the way that he did it. Somehow DeSantis has to get to that point on the on the the cultural issues. But my other point, I guess, would be with DeSantis. You don't need to hit the cultural issues as much as a Ramaswamy because you are already well known on that. You've been proven in that field. Right. And so. Yeah. Right. And so hit. Everybody knows where you stand there. So hit economics, economics, yep, economics, yep, economics. Uh, uh, foreign policy, the you know the border, uh, because you do have something. I mean, uh, Abbott sort of has taken because of uh, it's it's things are more focused on Texas and Governor Abbott now on the whole thing. He was a focal point on you know sending migrants, and I believe mm-hmm. they still are. Yeah, and so you can bring it up, but I would bring it up not in just the sending of migrants, but the general insanity of the Biden administration when it comes to. Uh, when it comes to uh, borders. Yes. And, you know, you don't have to be 100 percent of the time the the anti-Biden, because if people only see you as the anti-Biden, they don't know. And you haven't properly sold to them the benefits of the ideas that you promote, that if implemented as policy would affect their lives in such a positive way. You're going to have to show you're going to have to demonstrate what it is that is different, not just that you are not Biden, but let's look at these items. And we've talked about it over the years. You have to demonstrate what the wealth expansion looks like and what it means for all families. When you say wealth expansion, a lot of people hear, oh, the rich getting richer. No, that's everybody's wealth expansion. And when you're talking about increasing people's buying power, Right now, you've got their ears. Right now, more than ever, in a generation or two, you have them listening. They're willing to listen. You've got to say it. You know, by the way, there's one thing that Trump has. Yeah. The, 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 um, uh, the, uh, not, what is it, uh, the, uh, the ad- ad- advancement of minorities into the middle class. Yeah, I was thinking about that. During, during the Trump, the number of jobs that blacks and and Hispanics were able to get at that point that he can say that's where Trump had, but he's never going to be able to get to that as a focal point because everything else, but it is a strong point 
for Trump to, when they sit there and go, well, your policies will make the rich richer. What are you talking about? The, uh, what is it, the net worth. Yeah. The net worth of, of blacks and Hispanics went up in a four-year period like never before. Yep. You People know, were my, earning yeah, more. Right. My, you know, my economic policy is about everybody. He can make, he can actually make that case based on what happened during. Yeah. Well, and that's during, that's right. it. We've talked about that. He's the only one on stage right now that has the experience and also has the track record of doing what he's what he's right. hopefully well, just, at some point promising to do again. DeSantis has a track record, but it's a state, not it's a, a state, not a country. That's it. Not that's the it. Country. You've got to right. be able to take that onto the big stage. And and you know Trump could go. It's not in Florida. I'm talking about the whole damn country. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've done it for uh, for everyone. You know, and that's yeah. in that is no, a solid point. Eight six six ninety red eye. We'll be right back with more red eye radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Crowley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Welcome, and uh, good morning. Uh, so, where's, uh, it, where, where's no? I, I just I, my I just the, the only thing I'm thinking of right now is mm-hmm. I know we've talked about a bunch of different things. What's going to happen with the fake name today? Robert L. Peters. Robert L. Peters. Allegedly, that's the fake name of Joe that Biden. Biden. Joe Biden used. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood. Every story eventually comes to an end. This June, hear the final episode of season two of the hit podcast series In the Red Clay, Durham. In the Red Clay tells the unbelievable true story of Billy Sunday Burt, the most dangerous man in Georgia history. In the podcast that people are calling riveting, incredibly moving, captivating, and addicting. Binge seasons one and two of In the Red Clay now, wherever you listen. Hey guys, welcome to the Candy Valentino Show. I'm Candy Valentino. I was a founder before I could legally order a drink. And for more than two and a half decades, I've built, scaled, acquired, and exited multiple businesses in diverse industries. Now my goal is to help you by sharing the knowledge that I've learned, the mistakes that I've made, and the wisdom that I've developed over my journey. Bi-weekly episodes every Monday and Thursday. The Candy Valentino Show, wherever you listen. 